Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Glenn Jackson witnessed a desperate plight among particularly the children and the elderly in Haiti. Now remember, we had a governor general not so long ago who hailed from Haiti. Children in Haiti now are often orphaned with almost no opportunity for a safe life, for a daily meal, for an education. Mr. Jackson also saw the elderly in desperate need for the basics of life and access to the very fundamentals of health care. So Mr. Jackson, Glenn Jackson, took action and founded the Javelin Education and Medical Fund. And we're going to talk to him about this. Um, built and operates an orphanage, feeds children, supports the needs of the elderly. Glenn Jackson joins us on The Roy Green Show. Glenn, you're an amazing person. It's an honor to speak with you. Well, thank you. <laughs> no one said that before. No, what you've done and what you're doing from the goodness of your heart for people who are in very, and, you know, de the word desperate is used so frequently that sometimes it loses its intensity. But these are, the people in Haiti are in desperate, desperate straits. Could I just, before I ask you what motivated you to get involved and what you're doing, share with us an incident or two which describes how dangerous life in Haiti is, whether it's in Port-au-Prince, the capital, or further removed from the Haitian capital. How dangerous, how desperate is life? Um, it's very dangerous, especially if it's someone that they suspect may have money. Um, in the last four or five years, gangs have been taking over the country, and kidnapping um, is rampant, not only for, for white people, but also for people in Haiti that they suspect. Um, so when, I, when I've been going since 2010, I've never felt threatened until recently. And I always have, I hate to use the word posse, but I always have a posse with me um, just to protect myself. Um, one incident, I had to go to, I didn't have to go, I was a godfather in Port-au-Prince, and I really didn't want to go because Port-au-Prince is dangerous. And the fellow begged and pleaded with me, so I flew to Port-au-Prince, and he met me at the airport with his brother, two cousins, and his three friends, put me in the back of a taxi and surrounded me with all these fellows, and so that no one would know there was a white guy in the car, and took me to the church and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, I've been fortunate. I've never been threatened, but it's the possibilities there. Yeah, I've read some terrible things about what the gangs are doing and the power they exert, mm -hmm. particularly in the, in the Haitian capital. You told me a story of um, what can happen at the Haiti-Dominican Republic border. And they, I don't know if you can share the story with us. Or oh, sure I can. Right? But as a four-year-old child who was, who was discovered just absolutely sobbing his heart out. Yeah, he was this in the middle. The border between the Dominican and Haiti is a river, and in the last ten years, they've also put up a huge fence on either side. The Dominicans have; they don't want the Haitians in Haiti. And um, a fellow who's a teacher at our school lives near the border, and in the middle of the night, he heard this child crying and crying and crying. So he finally got up and went to, to investigate, and he found a little boy, approximately four years of age, um, naked, barefoot, at the fence just sobbing his eyes out. So he picked him up and brought him home. And the story is his parents were trying to get into the Dominican and foraging the fence in the river. And because he was crying so much, they had to abandon him. Um, otherwise, they would have been either imprisoned or shot. 
So let me just go to another story about a month later, because so many people say, how can parents abandon a child? How can they do this? Well, one month later, another similar situation at the border. Another, it's another little boy, and someone knocked on the door of my friend and with this child and said um, his parents were trying to cross the river in the middle of the night, and they were shot and killed. So would you please take this child? So that's the reality of life um, at the border and in Haiti. These are little kids, right? I mean, just um, four years old. On little kids. The, on the plus side, I've, they're both adopted. I've got oh, good. Yeah. Well, you've done some uh, amazing things. I want to talk to you about that. But what is daily life like? And what are the chances for a Haitian child, particularly from an impoverished village like the one uh, that, that you have done so much for the people from this village. Well, what is daily life like um, for kids to attend school, graduate, go to college, university without charitable, charitable assistance? What are their chances? No, there's no chances. When we first went to this village in 2010, we, we decided to open up a school. And we had figured we'd get about um, 30, 40 kids in that grade one age group never believing that our grade one class were all teenagers because these kids had never had an opportunity. They couldn't read. They couldn't write. They couldn't do math. Um, on the plus side, 10 years later, they've all finished um, grade nine and have gone on either to um, college, high school, or um, some of the um, things like electricity or plumbing trade schools or hairdressing and things like that for the girls. So... It's amazing. Education's the key. Education, I truly believe, is the key. So you didn't turn your back. You didn't say, oh, how terrible. Somebody needs to take care of this and get on the plane and fly home. You decided to, to get involved, roll up your sleeves, and you founded the Javelin Education and Medical Fund. Tell us about the fund, what you do with the fund, what the, what the, the actions are that you've taken in this village. Is, it, is the name of the village Depe? The village is Depe. It's um, in kind of about eight miles from the border with the Dominican. It's in a very impoverished rural area. And it's not a village, you would think. There's no streets. There's no running water. There's no electricity. There's no shops. It's just huts or shacks, as I might say, scattered over many acres. And so when we opened the school, um, which was a pole barn to start, now we have three buildings, um, we started with 30, 40 kids, and now we have over 400 children. And wow. what's interesting is half of those children walk five or six miles a day because in Haiti, you have to pay for school. The government does not provide any subsidies. And we, we provide free education. We, we um, provide uniforms and backpacks, and we also um, feed the kids every day. And um, it's amazing. It's probably the only meal most of them get. Glenn, none of that is uh, inexpensive, requires a oh, lot no. of commitment. <laughs> no. <laughs> What's, how much money, if I may ask, how much money has uh, the Javelin Education and Medical Fund spent, and what can you use by way of contributions? Well, you know, um, you know the, the amount that is contributed depends on the situation. Like, for instance, we sponsor children in the school for about $400 a year, and that pays for them to go to school for a year. For the elderly, we do a similar thing. Um, every month they get a large bag of rice and beans and vegetable oil and a small food allowance. Um, and 
So, um, and indignity, because most of them are begging in a community where there's nothing to share anyway. Um, once they get to high school or university, um, we have other programs. I've got several taking electricity and plumbing. I have some girls and some other programs. And, and if I want to go to my real success stories, I have recently um, a brand new medical doctor. Yeah, tell us about that. In 2010, my first trip to Haiti, and I was, I've been traveled a lot, but I've never seen such poverty in my life. And this young teenage boy approached us, and he wanted to know if he could be our guide and earn money. And what impressed me was he spoke English because no one in Haiti speaks English. And he also wasn't begging for money. He wanted to earn the money. Um, so I hired him for a day or two, and just in conversation, I said, oh, what are you going to do with the money? And he started to cry. And he said, well, I'm an orphan. I can't go to school because we have nowhere to live. Um, I'm going to use the money to feed my brother and sister. Oh, my goodness. So um, once I got home to Canada, I found a way to get in touch with him and um, sponsored him, got him into high school, um, got his brother into high school and his sister as well, got him a little room to live in, which a room with three people is nothing in Haiti. Some of them have 12 kids in a room. And um, if you want to fast forward from 2010 till March the 4th, 2023, I attended Wadner Sharonfront's graduation from medical school. <laughs> That's a great story. Yep. yep. That is a terrific story. So why did you do it? Why did, why did you not do what most people would do? Say, oh, my God, somebody needs to do something about this. Why did you not do that? I think I was brought up in a home where... You, you had to help others. My mom and dad were brought up in the Depression, and um, I remember them telling me stories all the time about the poverty, people coming to their doors, and um, how they did their best to, to help. And then once my father became more successful in business, he, he was very generous, um, not only out of country, but in, in our own community as well. So I was, I was brought up with that. So that's that's what I do. And in 1971, I graduated from veterinary college. And my reason I went to veterinary college was I wanted to work in the third world. And I actually had a job in East Africa working um, with the Maasai Indians. And unfortunately, one month before I arrived, or was to arrive, Idi Amin moved into East Africa and all um, hope of work for anyone was cut off because he was one of the world's worst despots. Yeah, he was. So, so 30 years later, I'm thinking, gee, I missed what I really, really, really wanted to do. And then the um, earthquake hit Haiti, and, and I thought, okay, I'm off. I'm going. We're going to take a break in just a moment, but first, before we do that, uh, if our listeners feel that they'd like to contribute, like to assist. We'll talk more about what you're doing when we come back, because it's okay. amazing, amazing work. But it's, um, it's Hearts Together for Haiti is the umbrella organization, right? Yeah, Hearts Together for Haiti is who I started with, and I still work with them completely. The, the Hearts Together for Haiti does grade school, whereas my foundation does grade school plus high school plus university plus a lot of other things like some of the medical problems and things, which I'd like to discuss a bit if I can. Yeah, for sure. So, so how can people, if, if they wish to contribute, what's the most simple way to do it? Um, they can go to the Hearts Together for Haiti website and do it um, by credit card, or they can um, e-transfer, which I love e-transfers because I get the money and I can send receipts right away. 
And that's A-K-S-H-U-N-2, so Action 2. Action 2 for Action Jackson at bell.net. At bell.net. And the other one is htfhaiti.org. HDF80.org, yep. And and on that one, there's an incredible video, which I wish people would go to and watch. It's a 30-minute video called Visitor's Day, and it really explains everything we do. You want to talk about the medical issues, but before we do that, Glenn, I'm just looking at an email you sent me this morning. And my eye keeps going back to this. Sponsorships for orphan children. Many were former Restaviks, is that correct? Slaves? Yes. Mm -hmm. Slaves? Yep. And so what happens in Haiti, um, I mean, if, if a lot of people cannot afford to raise their children, especially mothers, and they have to, they give their children up to families. And most of these children are used as slave children, whereas these families have their own children, but they use these children to do all the work. They don't send them to school. So basically they get a place to sleep and, a, and, a, and food. And this is so incredibly common. So most of the girls in our orphanage were former Restavics. Um, and I'm, I'm now founding a new orphanage, which I'd love to get help with. And um, there again, a lot of even the little boys were um, rest of it, children. They're so grateful to be away from that situation. Now they can go to school. Um, they can interact with other kids. Um, they can get on. And they can bring their success back home and help rebuild their country, which is the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, That's as right. you point yeah. out. Yeah. All right, tell us about the medical issues you wanted to share with us. Well, a couple. Um, the um, In Haiti, you have to pay for medical, and often a doctor will see you and make a diagnosis, but you have to pay for the testing, the x-rays, and definitely you have to pay for the medication. So um, I got a message about a year ago from a young man who I help a little bit, Name's DJ for disc jockey, and he told me about his cousin who was nine months pregnant, 22 years old, um, bleeding, in horrible pain, and just desperate. And she's on the doorstep of the hospital, and there's nothing they will do. So I wire money to Haiti, and then I have to take a picture of the of the receipt to prove that I've wired the money. And they took her into the hospital. Um, it was determined that she needed a C-section, which they did perform. Um, If we go to the good news, a healthy little baby boy was born. The bad news is she died. And the reason she died was simply because she needed a blood transfusion, and blood transfusions are just not available. Um, The lady who and her husband who run the orphanage, um, they couldn't have children. And all of a sudden, at the age of 40, she found out she was pregnant, had an easy pregnancy, but at the time of delivery had a really desperate situation, also needed a C-section. She died because she needed a blood transfusion. And so, um, and there again, a a healthy little child was born. So now we have two new orphans. Um, The the one I had this week was another one that broke my heart. Someone sent me a video of about a 10-year-old boy who was crawling along the street. When I looked at him, his legs were bent backwards, I, I don't know if he was born that way, or, but I, I, just, I just don't understand how it happened. But crawling along this gravel streets, and he can't go to school, and he can't do anything. All he needed was a wheelchair. So I sent money and bought him a wheelchair. And you should see the picture that I got from he and his family, his mother and his siblings, with him in the wheelchair, smiling his eyes out. Now, now the trick is we've got to find some money to get him to school. But um, this is everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm looking at the photograph of the kids on uh, on the brochure, Hearts Together for Haiti, and I'm wondering what would have would have happened to these kids without your intervention. It's uh, it's 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 a frightening thought, and these are little kids, oh. and they deserve. And we only have thirty seconds, so let me turn it over to you. Thirty seconds. Um, they would die. Um, cholera is a big issue right now in Haiti, and without treatment, they'll die. Um, and so I get messages every day, please, 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 please help. So, You're an amazing man, Glenn yes. Jackson. You're an Thank amazing you. man. You really are. Um, people turn their backs and hope somebody else will step up. You didn't do that. You stepped up for everyone else. So um, Action 2, A-K-S-H-U-N-2, at bell.net for e-transfers, credit card through hdfhaiti.org. And any questions, um, message me at Action 2 at bell.net. I'd be happy to answer any questions. And if they go to the video on Visitor's Day on the Hearts Together for Haiti website, they'll see exactly what we do. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.